Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Good morning, brethren. What do we live for? What do you live for? That's a question that is very important, but we don't tend to ask that all that often, do we? Just a couple of days ago, I was officiating at a funeral. And I'm always amazed during those very important moments how it is when we, we are confronted with the frailty of our human life, when we are confronted with our mortality, that we ask the most important questions of life. What is this life all about? And what is death? And what is the purpose of it all? What do we live for? We contemplate the end of this physical life and we are bound to think, is this it? Is there any more, anything else? Is it just the end of everything? Or is there more to our existence? And I think it makes it very, very clear that if we live this life for pleasure, or for the things of this world. Like Jesus stated numerous times, we will be sorely disappointed. But let's read in John 12, one of the times in which Jesus taught a similar lesson, right as he was contemplating the end of his physical life, his sacrifice, his death on the cross. We find it in John chapter 12 and verses 20 to 33. Now there were, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answering them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If any, anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that he had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. 
but he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. You see, Jesus was <clears throat> preparing his disciples for the hour to come, for the hour when he would be sacrificed, he would be dying on the cross. And <clears throat> as he did that, we find that Jesus remained quite faithful to his mission. He also instructed them, the disciples, on the value of life, the true life, which can only be found in him. So the moment was important, and Jesus pointed it out very clearly. Let's find it out in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. So the, the mention of these people from Greece, well, was meaningful. They were Gentiles. And it was quite important to understand the context as well of what's going on here in this passage, in this particular time. Most likely they were proselytes who came up for the Passover, who came to Jerusalem, who went to Jerusalem for, to observe the feast of the Passover. But what was the, the point of mentioning them right here in this particular context? We'll find that in verses 21 and 22. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip together came and told Jesus. So these Greeks, these Gentiles, were seeking Jesus. Their coming and seeking for Jesus was symbolic of the fact that the Gentiles had come to worship God through Jesus Christ. That Jesus was reaching out not only to Israel, not only to Judah, but to the Gentiles as well. Notice the contrast here with the religious leaders with the Jewish religious leaders who wanted to kill Jesus Christ, who were plotting to find a way to kill him. And the contrast of that with the Gentiles who wanted instead his attention, who wanted to get to know him, who wanted, wanted to see him and be able to talk to him. Now, someone may ask, why did they come to Philip? Well, while Philip was a Jew, he also had a Greek name. He lived in, in Bethsaida of Galilee, an area with many Gentiles around, and Philip may even have had contacts with some of the Gentiles from the Decapolis area. It would not be unusual. Then Philip brought them to Andrew and told Andrew, and most scholars seem to agree that that might have been a way to, to perhaps screen, the, because there were probably many people that wanted to talk to Jesus and come to, to Jesus at that point. And so they might have been screening them, and maybe Philip asked Andrew, what do you think, Andrew, should we bring it to Jesus? And both of them together came and told Jesus that these Greeks, these Gentiles, wanted to speak with him, wanted to hear him, wanted to get to know him. Notice that Jesus, how he responded to that. Verses 23 and 24. 
And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, it seems like the, especially the second part may be a little, it may come across a little cryptic, but we, we will see and understand it momentarily. But notice that Jesus began answering, saying that the hour had come. The fact that these Gentiles were seeking him was marking a, a very important moment. The hour had come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Notice that, to be glorified. Now, it was obvious in the context that he was speaking of his impending death. Doesn't it seem strange that as he's talking about his impending death, his coming death, he would refer to that as to be glorified? You know, most people would think of the cross as something terrible, horrible, scary, shameful, but glorifying? Glorify would hardly be the word that people would want to use for that. But Jesus looked at that moment differently quite differently. Now, the illustration of a grain of wheat was important in this context. Jesus' life, well, is unique and would be unique. And if it was all that he was concentrating on, it would probably be remembered as a, as a teacher. But it was in his death that he would give life to many other people, all of us. In his death and resurrection, he did not just come back to life. We need to understand this. Jesus died and he came back to life. That would be a statement that I hear many times, but it's not quite correct. Jesus died, but he did not come back to life. It's not like Jesus was resurrected like Lazarus was, was that he, he was dead and then came back to this life. Jesus did not just come back to this life. He shattered death forever. He rose in a newness of life. He broke the, the grip of death. Basically, he marked and conquered death. He caused the death of death itself. He broke right through it. It didn't come back to life, but defeated death forever. And that's a very important statement and a very important concept to keep in mind in here. But Jesus here is contrasting what would have been a worldly perspective with a godly perspective. You see, in a, in a worldly perspective, perhaps he would have ruled physically. He would have been the kind of Messiah that the people of his days were looking for, a physical ruler, and would have found a personal glory, but only for a time. But in God's perspective, by dying, he gave life to all of us. And the glory, the glory of God would be shared with many people and it would be forever. 
there's a quite a difference between the two that the people needed to understand. And so we find in verses 25 and 26 that Jesus applied that with a great paradox. Let's read it. Verses 25 and 26. He who loves his life loses it, but he who hates his life in this world will keep it to, etern to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now notice that great paradox that is explained or just stated here. That death is actually the way to life. For Christ, it was death that led to the glory and life, not only for him, I'm talking about eternal life, everlasting life, not only for him, but for all of us. For us, it means that we are called to die to ourselves, to be alive in Christ. What does that mean? To die to ourselves means that we cease to be involved in our self-centeredness, in our self-worship, in order to live for Christ in the life of, of God. But, but why the metaphor of death and life? Why do we say that we are dead to ourselves to be alive in Christ? As we stated before, death can be defined as the absence of activity. When you notice there is no cardiovascular activity or no brain activity, an individual, a person is declared dead. So if I am dead to myself, that means I no longer live, I no longer, I'm no longer active to serve myself. But if I am alive in Christ, that means that everything I do, all my activity, is in Him and for Him. So to die to ourselves, it means that we die to the concept of us being the center of the universe our self-centeredness, so that we can surrender to God. And so that paradox comes to play here. If we find this life, meaning that we live this life for ourselves, then we're actually going to lose life. But if we lose this life, if we're willing to not live for ourselves, if we're willing to give up our own interest, our own life, our own um, I, ideas and plans and projects to and surrender it all to Christ. That means that we will find the true life. The life that is not just temporary and physical, but a life that is forever, that is an everlasting life. In a way, it's a matter of priority. What is more important in our life? What are we living for? To answer the original question that we started with. But let's continue with verse 27 and 28. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it is for this purpose that I came to this hour. So, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now Jesus here used a very strong language, but it did it in a very meaningful way and for a 
a great purpose. His soul was troubled. That's a strong language here. It means that he was experiencing the horror, the anxiety, the agitation of what was coming. The very fact that he was going to be taking upon himself the, the consequences of human sin, the very wrath of God, and he would experience all that for us, it was a dreadful thing. For him to take on himself all of our sins, and especially the, the consequence, of it, it was deeply revulsive and agonizing. But you see, Jesus experienced emotions like all of us. Yes, he experienced joy and laughter, but he also experienced fear, dread, and anxiety. But perhaps the difference is in the fact that he did not allow his emotions to rule him under any circumstances, not even at this point. What Jesus lived and died for was to glorify God. Notice that. Not himself, but God. And that there, there is a lesson for us as well. As we are called to surrender to the will of God and to trust his plan for us. You know, Jesus modeled that. Of course, we are not called to be Messiah. There is only one Messiah, and that was Jesus Christ. But he modeled for us the idea of being completely surrendered to God and to fully trust God for our life and his plan. Do we trust that? And you see, if we do that, if we surrender to the will of God and trust what He has in store for us, His plan for us, we will do that not just for our sake. We will do that to bring glory to God, to praise God and bring glory to Him, yes, but also for the sake of others as well, because then our life will be used by God, not only to be a blessing for ourselves, but to be a blessing to many, many other people. Verses 29 and 30, So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that he had thundered, and others were saying an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. This was a third time that it was a voice from heaven to testify of Jesus being the Messiah. And the people around him, however, did not quite understand what he was saying. So the voice from heaven was not for the sake of Jesus, because he knew, he knew very well, and he understood, but it was for the sake of those who were around him, that they would also understand what it was all about and what was about to happen. Finally, verses 31 to 33, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And, he, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. And obviously the reference, as we have seen earlier in previous messages, was a reference to the crucifixion. You see, the people that were listening to him, his disciples and the crowds around him, needed to understand that this was God's will and God's plan. 
Notice the vital contrast that is mentioned here. In the confrontation with the first Adam, Satan won. Humanity lost. But it was for a time. It was a temporary victory, if you can call it that way. It looked like Satan had thwarted God's plan. He, it looked like Satan managed to, well, it intrude in human life and bring sin into human life and distort human life completely to destroy it. It looked like humanity had lost. But in the second confrontation, in other words, in the confrontation with the second Adam, as Jesus is referred to, that's when Satan lost and lost forever. Yes, from a physical perspective, it might have looked like Satan won with Jesus as well, because there you go, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that the people expected that would be a physical ruler, actually ended up dying. But he was also reasoned. He also rose to a newness of life to usher all of us to that newness of life. Satan lost forever. And we, in Christ, won the victory because Christ won the victory for us. He won the victory over death. He defeated death once and forever. He caused the death of death. And this was quite different, however, from what the people expected. You see, the idea of a dying Messiah, as we mentioned before, was shocking to them. It was very difficult for them to, ac to accept it and to understand because their minds were pretty much stuck on the physical. They expected a physical rule as we already mentioned. So, in Jesus' sacrifice, at least for a time, to them it looked like Satan won again. But in reality, the death of the Lord, the death of Jesus Christ, would mark the ultimate defeat, not only of Satan, but of all evil. It is so that God's grace is so amazing. And he said, if I lift him, if I am lifted up from the earth, an obvious reference to the cross, I will draw all men to myself. We overcome because of him. We overcome not because of our efforts. We overcome not because we are good, because we're not. We overcome not because we're better than anyone else. We overcome because he won the victory for us. And we don't overcome Satan by attempting to fight him ourselves or by attempting to establish our life in the here and now. We overcome Satan by surrendering our lives to God, by trusting in God rather than ourselves. We have that victory in Christ. It's a done deal. It's something that has occurred already. And it's thanks, it is thanks to the fact that he was willing to experience death on our behalf. He died for us 
to destroy death. And he rose to life, a glorious life, a glorified human existence, so that we would live forever in him. And that, brethren, is the deep meaning of this season. So don't let, don't let the distractions of this season confuse you. That's what we should meditate on and pray about. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ who destroyed death forever. Death has lost its sting because of the hope that God has given us, because of the certainty of life that we have in him. That's what we should think about in the days ahead, in these in this coming days. And we should refuse to be distracted by the things of this world and concentrate on that because that is vital for every single one of us. As we approach that question that we started with, what do we live for? Let's think about it. What do you live for? Brennan, it is my prayer that God will bless your thoughts and your meditation in these coming days to answer that very same question. God bless you. my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and nothing was created except through him. In him was life, and his life brought light to everyone.
come to set all people free, to rid the world of darkness and shine the light of Jesus to all who dwell on this earth. May you do your work in us and through us. As bearers of your image, may we shine forth the goodness and mercy of Christ, doing the work of the kingdom through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. 